We're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25 today, uh, about John the Baptist. But keep it in mind that Jesus Christ is the reason for John the Baptist. He heralds the way for Christ's coming. And John the Baptist and Jesus were relatively close in age. John the Baptist's father was about 92 years of age, and his mother was about 88 years of age when they had John the Baptist. So they were quite old. They were aged, I guess we could say. They were seniors. And some of the other things we know about Zechariah and Elizabeth, as they are known, is that Zechariah was a priest in the temple of God. And Elizabeth was a wife of the priest. They were both part of the royal lineage of Aaron, of the, of the priests in Israel. So we see that they dedicated their lives to the temple. And some of the other things about Zechariah and Elizabeth is that the Bible says is that they were righteous before God. And you might ask the question, how could one be righteous before God since Christ has not even been born yet? Well, if we go back to Genesis, Genesis says that Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness. So everything from the beginning of the scriptures until the end of time is all based on faith in Jesus Christ. That's where righteousness comes from. And one of the things we see that's important about Elizabeth, or Zechariah and Elizabeth, is that they were praying people. And they had prayed for a son. And all of these years had gone by till he was about 92 and 88. Elizabeth was 88 before they got news of a son. Now, can you imagine praying most of your life for God to deliver, to give you a gift? And then you reach an age where you say, you know, it's impossible now. It's too late now. And you kind of just give up the dream, but they did not give up on God. They still stayed faithful in their service at the temple and their love for God. And so we're going to read this passage, and we're going to delve into it a little more. And if you will, follow me in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. I'll be reading from the New King James. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. His wife was the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well advanced in years. So it was. That while he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. 
and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to their God. And he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to you to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zechariah and marveled that he had lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. Verse 23. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts and to our minds. And with that, I'd like to go through a kind of systematically through this a little bit, or just expository in nature. And we'd already talked about the character of Elizabeth and Zechariah, that they were blameless, that they were people dedicated to the Lord. And we discovered, based on the scriptures, that they had wanted a son for the longest time and prayed earnestly. But the Lord saw fit during their time of prayer not to give him a son at that point in time, but a son did come. And you might ask the question, the timing of God, why wait so long? Well, what we can tell from the scriptures is one thing, is that God will be glorified and honored. He will not share his glory with anybody. The other thing that we see here is that John the Baptist was a key heralder to, to, to announce that Jesus Christ was coming on the scene. And so what we actually see here is that John was destined to be born. He was part of the elect, and God had already preordained a time for John the Baptist to be born. Not when Elizabeth and Zechariah would have liked the child, because you think about it, if John was born much earlier than when he was born, could he have been the heralder, the one that would announce Jesus's coming? Could have been, but how old would he have been? So Jesus started his ministry, he was about 30 years of age. John Baptist was just as close in age. So timing is everything with God. So if you're praying for something, don't give up. If you've been praying for years, don't give up. You've been praying for your children, you've been praying for your parents, you've been praying for yourself, you're praying for God to intercede in your life, to give you something, and with all your being, you've been praying 
and you're feeling discouraged today, don't give up. God's timing is perfect. And it is His timing, and not our own, in which He will be glorified and honored. Continue to faithfully serve God. Continue to faithfully attend and be part of the body of Christ. Continue to lift Jesus Christ up as the master of your life. And in your struggle of waiting, you glorify and honor, and I glorify and honor the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Zechariah and Elizabeth were doing. And as we continue on, we see in verse 8 it says, So it was that while they were serving as a priest before God in the order of the division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense and went into the temple of the Lord. There were hundreds of priests that were there at that point in time. And Zechariah was going to meet an angel, Gabriel, with a message for him and him alone. Now, Zechariah had no idea that his message was going to happen, that God was going to answer his prayer and give him this good news. He was going about his normal duty as a priest, just as we should be going about our daily business, faithfully serving God, serving Jesus Christ. And in the daily faithfulness of our service to Christ, Christ meets us. He meets us through the Word of God. He may meet us through a person. He may meet us through an angel. I don't know, but what we do know is that we should be faithfully serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we do, we will experience Christ in our daily lives. And He will be working out His perfect will in our lives through our obedience to Him. And so we see that He... This lot fell on him, and so he went in and he burned this incense. And one of the first things that he encounters, and the only thing, is that he encounters the angel. And he was terrified by this angel, but the angel said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. How many people today are fearless when they deal with demons, and they deal with witchcraft, and they deal with spiritism, correct? But yet when you meet the living God, when you meet his envoy, when you meet one of his angelic hosts, when you meet people of God, there is a fear or a respect or um, an awakening within us that we're encountering something that God has touched, that God has sent, that God has made available in our lives. And so we continue on, and the angel says that his name will be called John, that his prayer has been answered. But I ask myself this question, what prayer was he praying? Was he praying for the Messiah? Because they were anxiously waiting for the Messiah to come. Could it have been at 92 years of age, he's praying and asking God to send the Messiah, and then in the middle of that faithful service, in the middle of that prayer, all of a sudden the angel speaks something that was the furthest from his mind, which is, your prayer has been heard. And he's like, my prayer has been heard. What prayer? He perhaps forgot about it because he's 92. What's the chance of his wife having a child at 88? Now all of a sudden he says, you're going to have a son. Can you imagine how Zachariah felt? He probably felt stunned. Stunned. But that's how God is. He wants to stun us. He wants us to realize is that He is so involved in our lives and He loves us so much and He wants to glorify Himself and He wants us to be in a relationship with Him. 
As soon as Zechariah and Elizabeth's eyes were no longer on the child, God chose the time and delivered a child to them who would be used mightily in the ministry of Christ Jesus. And so we continue on, and we look at verse 15, and it says, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. This is what the angel Gabriel says. And he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. So I ask myself the question, what is the significance of that for us today? How many children are born into Christian families whose homes are not dedicated to the Lord? They have a calling on their life. But yet many Christian families are tinkering with the things of this world. They have, you know, they're not doing things in moderation or they're involved in sinful things that if the Lord was there, it would sadden him. And they wouldn't want to be in the presence of God doing these things or living these lifestyles. So what we see from Zechariah and Elizabeth is that we should be cultivating a home where Christ is glorified and honored And our children have every opportunity, every opportunity to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to grow in the ministry and to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ so they can become what Christ has prepared them for. So we have a responsibility. We see that with Elizabeth and with Zechariah. And it also goes on, and the angel says, and the Holy Spirit, he said he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now, his ministry was very unique, and the Holy Spirit was a very important part of this ministry. But this is the first time that you see the Holy Spirit mentioned in a person's life, in the, gospel, in the, in the, in the Word of God. He's actually, he actually is, is, is called the Holy Spirit. And it says is that he will be in his mother's womb. And he goes on and he says, It will turn many of the children of Israel to their God. And he will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready the people prepared for the Lord. So I'd like to concentrate on that a little bit, starting in verse 16. And it says that he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. I think what we want to see here, first of all, is that we are the elect. We are the elect, as it is set out here in verse 16. 1 Peter 1.2 says, elect, and Peter is talking to the church, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, you are the elect, and God has foreknown you, and he has already called you into his family. He has called me into his family. But he goes on and he says, your sanctification comes through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, actively at work in and through our lives. And he continues on and he says, For what? For the obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, we continue on and we see the work of the Holy Spirit in faith. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is through faith and faith alone that we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so even as John goes out to proclaim the message that Christ is here to repent and to be baptized, the baptism of repentance, 
we are reminded that we cannot come to Christ in our own strength. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is by the will of the Father, that we come to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we have the ability to believe. In Romans 2.4 it goes on and it says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Some people think that repentance is something that we can do. Repentance is not something that we do. It is still a gift of God. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to bring us to a point to repent. And what is this? Faith is turning to God. Repentance is turning from self and from sin. To live a life of turning away from self and sin and live a life of faith of where we're turning to God and trusting Him for our lives, for our salvation, for the goodness that we can demonstrate in and through our lives. So we look back at verse 16 and and he says, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. One of the things I'd like you to know about what was going on in Elijah's time, which is common, I would imagine, in today, is this. Is that many, many, many kings had already served in the nation of Israel. About a hundred years had passed. And so, from David. And so David was a, was, a, was a king that was a good example of faithfulness and integrity. But now Ahab is king, and, Ze- and Elijah is actually the prophet during that period of time. And during this time of Ahab's reign, and during the time of Elijah, Elijah is preaching repentance and warning to the people of God, and it is to the people of God. But over the course of time, because of all the bad kings and all the bad leadership, wickedness filled the land. Not only did wickedness fill the, man, uh, the land, but the majority of the people yielded to Satan and to the demonic influences through the worship of the Canaanite gods of Baal and Ashtaroth, which many of their children had passed through. You look at the world today and you ask yourself, are we living in those days today? Evidently, John the Baptist was being prepared to send or bring a message because Christ was coming on the scene and he was going to deal with these very issues. He was bringing the people back. He was bringing the people to himself. And so we ask the question, do we live in that day to day? Have not many people decided to serve demons and Satan? Have many in the church already turned their backs on Christ and you have gone after the ways of the world, we have to say yes. Because this is who Elijah was preaching to. This is who John the Baptist was preaching to. It was to prepare a people of God to be able to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, to have open hearts and open minds to receive the Word of God. We live in this world today. We live in that world today. And there are Elijahs among us who are bringing forth the true and pure word of God, bringing us to a point of where we have an opportunity to repent and accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Not only accept Him as Lord and Savior, but to reaffirm our faith and recommit ourselves, recommit our homes to serving Christ and not having our lives uh, just tethered to the world. And so we see that in Elijah's time, it was critical. In John's time, it was critical. In verse 17 of the passage, it says, And he will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah 
to turn the hearts and the fathers of the fathers to the children. I'd like to read you a couple statistics about what this looks like, why it is necessary for the hearts of the fathers to be turned to the children. Life in Beautiful Ministries of Faith did a study, and they gave us some statistics. I'm going to read a few. 85% of the youth who are currently in prison grew up in a fatherless home. 85%. 85% of the people that are in prison, mainly men, grew up in a fatherless home. 39% of students in the United States from the first grade to the senior year of high school do not have a father at home. 24.7 million children in the United States live in a home where their biological father is not present. 57% of the fatherless homes in the United States involve African-American black households. Hispanic households have a 31% fatherless rate, and white or Caucasian households have a 20% fatherless rate. And allow me please to continue. Only 68% of the children will spend their entire childhood with an intact family. Only 68%. 85% of all children which exhibit some type of behavioral disorder come from a fatherless home. Now keep, keep that in mind. What do we say about people that have behavioral disorders? Well, they have this condition and they have that condition and, and, and they have this illness and they have this sickness, right? There are some that do. But what we're seeing is is that because of the absence of parents in the home, primarily a father, is that it causes difficulty and it changes the the trajectory of a child's life. God's hand could be on that child, but without that father being there, without them being in a home that is dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a struggle. It is a real miracle to have to pull that person out and bring them to a place of accepting Christ as their Lord and Savior and then going on to to fully commit themselves to the ministry that God has prepared for them. As we continue, it's so bleak. It says 90% of the youth in the United States who decide to run away from home or become homeless for any reason, originally come from a fatherless home. 90%. 63% of youth suicides involve a child who is living in a fatherless home. Even when poverty levels are equal, children who come from a two-parent home outperform children from a one-parent home. About 40% of the children in the United States are born to mothers who are not married. Over 60% of these children were born to mothers who were under the age of 30. And it goes on. It goes on. And I'll leave you with one more. 92% of the parents who are currently in prison in the United States are fathers. 92%. And when we look at the scriptures, and we look at the text that we're reading today, that we're studying today, what do we see? We see that one of the things that John is going to do is bring a message that will cause the hearts of the fathers to be turned back to the children. It's to bring revival into our homes, beginning with the fathers. This is the message of hope that John was bringing 
in preparation for what Jesus was going to bring, which is redemption. Because it is only through Jesus Christ, and we know that based on the scriptures, it is only through him that we have the power to be able to see our families serve him and to be saved from the deprivations and the diminishing that the, that the devil and Satan want to prevail in our homes. We continue on. And this is what we see. In 1 Kings 17 through 19, we talked about Elijah. Elijah was not interested in ministry. God chose him. Who is God going to choose among us here? The next generation. Those that aren't here to serve him, to herald the message of hope that Jesus Christ is the answer. The world is changing. It is changing before our eyes. We're coming closer and closer to the return of Christ. And with that means the world becomes more wicked. But believers and people need hope that as the world becomes more wicked, that there is an answer, and Jesus Christ is that answer. The next generation... Who will be the fathers and mothers? Who will stand in the gap for the next generation? Who will pray for the sons and the daughters? Who are the grandparents that will pick up the slack? Our job is not done. We walk alongside the spirit of John the Baptist. We walk alongside the spirit of Elijah. We are called to that in Jesus Christ. Jesus calls us to that to be faithful men and women of God, faithful to the Word of God, faithful in love to the Savior, faithful in love to one another, and faithful in love to the people within our community, to reach out to them, to give them an answer, a hope, that is Christ Jesus. John fifteen thirteen says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one life for his friend, a father, a mother, we as believers are called to lay down our lives for one another. Are you laying down your life for your family? Are you the example that you need to be? Are you taking your selfish desires and saying, you know what, Lord, whatever plans I had for me, I give them all to you. And I commit myself to whatever your call is on my life. Whatever it is. Have you come to that place of total abandonment? As Oswald Chambers had said, we have no rights. Because when we came to Christ, we died with Christ. We are raised new in Christ Jesus. Our life is not our own. Not at all. We belong to Him. We are His bond servants, His bond slaves. And we owe Him everything because He has given everything to us. Not equal. I can never equal in giving to Christ what Christ has given to me. He is holy. He is perfect. He is God. He not only took away my sin. He not only gave me a hope. He not only gave me eternal life. He gave me himself. He gave me his love. I know love. You know love because Christ loved us. And so in turn, we are to love those around us even when it costs us something, even more so when it costs us something, because that is the demonstration of love, is that we give ourselves away 
for the glory of Christ. And as we look at Ephesians 5.29 and we continue on in this theme of the Spirit of the Father, the hearts of the Father to the children, Ephesians 5.29 says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Oftentimes it's in the context of a husband and wife. As Christ loved the church, us husbands ought to love our, their wives. But it goes beyond that. Husbands and wives are called to love the children. And we're called to, live, to love other people's children because those that aren't on Christian homes, God is still interested in them. He still wants them. Open your homes to those children. Make them a part of your family. Be the mother or the father or the family that they don't have. Be the answer in their lives. This is what Paul's talking about. But, I mean, what John's talking about, or what Luke is talking about, as it relates to John the Baptist, is that this would be his message. But it was Paul's message as well. Right? It's Jesus' message. It's the message of the Word of God, which is to get the message of hope, the message of the gospel out. So as we continue on, we see in verse 17, in verse 17, and the, the disobedient will, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. I'm breaking up that verse, so let me just read it in its entirety so we get the context. And it says, starting in verse 17, He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And I thought about that, and I prayed about that, and I said, what is the wisdom, the disobedient, or the disobedient to the wisdom of the just? We're no longer walking in the world's folly, but the wisdom of God. The world has a wisdom, so it thinks. And a lot of people operate by that. And they think they're wise, they're crafty, right? They, can, they know how to beat the system. But they don't know how to obey God. But yet they think they're wise because somehow they're going to get out of this life and everything's going to be fine apart from Jesus Christ being the center of their life, apart from Jesus actually redeeming their life. Why? Because they live in darkness. Why? Because they live a lie. Why? Because the devil has blinded them. But not us. We have this message of hope. We are those that walk in the wisdom of God. We walk in the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit teaches us and guides us and directs us so that we can please God, so that we can honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see in Proverbs 9.10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We read earlier today, I think it was in Sunday school class, Romans 1, about how they did not give God thanks. They knew Him. In their hearts, they knew to give him thanks, but they denied to give him thanks. They denied to recognize him as God of their lives. But the wise acknowledge that. We are here not for ourselves, as pastor said. We are here because we are worshiping the living God collectively as brothers and sisters in Christ. And as he ministers to us, we glorify him. Because he is depositing in us. We are reminded and reminding one another of the power of God at work in our lives. 
And we see it. We see it in one another's lives. We see it that even though we struggle, we continue on in the fight. We don't give up. Even though we struggle in our homes, husband and wife, children and parents, we don't give up. We hit our knees. We pray to God. We ask for intercession on our family's behalf. We ask the Lord to redeem us, to help us, to perfect us, to help us to be the people in the family of God He's called us to be. There is fractures all over in society. Ephesians 1.17 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of Him. The world wants nothing to do with Jesus Christ. As we heard earlier today, is that people still laugh at us. They mock us. They say, I don't want your God. I don't want that information. I don't want your Bible. Keep it. I'm fine by myself. But we depend on the Word of God. The Word of God is our life. It is our direction. It is our hope. It is our encouragement. It is everything that we need because Jesus is the Word. He is the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we see Him. He comes alive by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. And we can be enraptured in the presence of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit as we are in the Word of God. You get away from the Word of God, I get away from the Word of God, soon our life is going downhill, even as a believer. That's what we saw in the time of Elijah, when Ahab was king. We see is that they got away from it. All of a sudden, they were worshiping demons. They were following Satan. They didn't know it. But how many people in the world today, what do they worship? Pleasure, recreation. Uh, there's abortion, there's homosexuality, there's a breakdown. It's all about self. It's all about self. It's all about grandizing of my own life and, and diminishing the life of Christ and what his call of sacrifice is on us. Because he calls us to a life of sacrifice, does he not? Of course he does. It says is that the cross that was set for before him, he counted it all joy. And yet we can't count sacrifices and struggles in our life all joy? Why not? Why not? Where is our faith? This is what John the Baptist was preaching, these types of messages, which is to get the people of God. He was preaching it to the people of God, people that had wandered away, which is calling them back and saying, yes, God still loves you, He still calls us, and we are still His people. But it's time to wake up, is what John the Baptist's message contained. So we see John James 3.13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by the good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Are our lives characterized by good conduct? Do we have good conduct before the world? Do we have good conduct in our home? Are we people of integrity? Are we people of integrity? These words we don't even hear anymore, do we? Piety, integrity, holiness, purity. We don't talk about those things much anymore, do we? The world doesn't, but does the church? Because this message that was given to John the Baptist, that Jesus would take with him, Jesus was bringing the message of hope. John the Baptist was setting that message up and saying, it's time to repent because this is who you are, this is where you're at, and the Savior is coming and you need to be ready to receive him. And he was setting them up. And so we are being set up by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God convicts us of sin. And as he convicts us of sin, 
It allows us to go to the Savior and seek forgiveness and to seek repentance and help in our lives so that we can honor Him. He has made us right before the Father. And so the Holy Spirit will help our lives to be right right, so we can bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. So we can be pleasing to Jesus. We continue on in verse 17. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The standard has been blurred, people. The standard has been blurred. But to the people of God, we know the standard. The standard is the Word of God. Do you know the Word of God? Is the Word of God alive and well in your home? Is the Word of God alive and well in your own life? Are you daily in the Word of God? Are you beseeching the Lord to, to, to just reveal His Word to you? We need to be, because the standard is blurred. And we go out in the world, they have no standard. They live by relativism. They say, hey, whatever works for me is good. Whatever, you know, you got a problem with it, then that's, that's too bad. That's your, that's your deal. You operate by a different standard, but that is not true. The plumb line, God has stretched out his plumb line, if you will. A contract, a construction term, a plumb line. And you know what? We're found wanting. We're found wanting. Even the church has been found wanting. And so we as the people of God need to hold the standard. But we need to know what the standard is. And how we hold that standard is how we live our lives. As we live our lives faithfully before the Lord Jesus Christ and before the world, as we take and we utilize the Word of God in our daily lives, we put Scripture to memory, and we go ahead and we live that, we share that with one another, we share that with those around us, then all of a sudden that standard is being elevated again. It's being brought so that other people can see the standard by which we live by. Somebody says, why don't you drink? Why don't you go out partying with us? Well, we used to at one time, didn't we? But then when we came to Christ, those things changed. Why? Because drinking is a sin? No. It's because we don't do those things. It's because we have a higher call. It's because we want to honor Jesus Christ. We don't want to be filled with wine. We want to be filled with the Spirit. We want to be ruled over by the Spirit of God. So that way we can be pleasing unto our Lord Jesus Christ and to our Heavenly Father. And he continues, when we talk about being prepared, I'm going to read through a couple scriptures for you, and you just, we're not going to talk much about it, but you just think about it. Titus 2, 1 and 2, as it relates to the older men. But as for you, communicate the behavior that goes with sound teaching. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, sound in love, and endurance. This is Paul telling Titus, as it, contain, as it pertains to older women, likewise, likewise are to exhibit behavior fitting for those who are holy, not slandering, not addicted to excessive drinking, but teaching what is good. In this way, the older women can train the younger women. The younger women. The younger women to do what? to love their husbands, to love their children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, to be fulfilling, to fulfilling their desires at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the message of God may not be discredited. To young men, 
He continues, Titus does. Encourage the younger men likewise to be self-controlled. Not run, not, not devoted and ruled by our appetites. Showing yourself to be an example of good works in every way. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and a sound message that cannot be criticized so that any opponent will be at a loss because he has nothing evil to say about us. This is what we are called to. This was what John the Baptist's message was in terms of readying the people of God for the coming, the coming Messiah. And so Jesus already came once, but he's coming again. He's coming again, and yet we're still called to be prepared. And as we close, I want to look at verse 19 and 20. Because it's interesting. As the angel Gabriel was talking to Zechariah, Continues on, and Gabriel says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Stands in the presence of God. Sent to speak to you. Sent to speak what? To speak the word of God. We are blessed that we have a godly pastor. We have godly preachers. We have godly teachers whose dedication is to the truth, whose dedication is to communicate the truth so that we can all grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So that way we can be examples of holiness and purity and goodness and meekness and kindness. Romans 10, 14 and 15 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom in him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings to good things. Now let's not stop with the preachers and the pastors and the teachers. In our homes, are we the preacher? Are we the pastor? Are we the teacher? We are, whether you realize it or not. But what is your message? Is your message aligned with the Word of God? Is your message aligned with that of hope and love towards your family? Are you nurturing and bringing your grandchildren, your neighborhood children, into the presence of Christ? These are the things that we need to be about. These are the things that we need to continue to cultivate. We cannot live just unto our own family because we have a message that we've been given, which is to spread the gospel of peace. Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How many you may bring into the presence of Christ for eternity because of your commitment to Christ in your home and in your personal life at school, at work, wherever you might be, wherever I might be. Acts 2.39 says, For the promises to you and your children, and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. The Lord will call, but we need to be about delivering the message, the message of hope. And lastly, Romans 10.13, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
So today, the question is, are we carrying within us, are we delivering to our communities, are we cultivating in our homes the message of John the Baptist, so that as Christ comes on the scene, he is being elevated in our homes, he is being elevated in our lives, and that he is being lifted up so he can draw all men unto himself. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your kindness and for your goodness. We thank you for the word of God, and we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, that we don't have to depend on our own selves, Lord, but you work in us and through us to make us more like Jesus Christ through the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.